Welcome back to The Boy from Splendora, Texas by Wallace Gibbs. The Approaching Storm, 1980, Episode 1 Gene Gibbs, Brother Jack said from the pulpit, can you please lead us in our closing prayer? Mrs. Shanks had quietly assumed her spot on the organ bench and began softly playing Jesus is the sweetest name I know as Daddy began to pray. Father in heaven, Daddy began reverently, thank you for the message that was delivered here this evening. I ask that you put the words that were spoken into our hearts to carry with us throughout the week. Please watch over and protect us as we enjoy this holiday weekend. For any unsaved in our congregation, I ask that you send your Holy Spirit to convict them of their need to know you and to accept you as their Savior. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen, I said as I got up from the pew where I was sitting on the fourth row behind Mom and Daddy. It was May 25, 1980. Brother Cherry had retired from preaching in 1978. Brother James became our pastor in the fall of 1978, and he left in mid-1979 after there was a disagreement between him and several of the church members on the validity of Sunday school. After a much-heated debate, it was decided that it would be best for Brother James to find another church. For the next several months, we had several pre preachers coming to preach at the church, in view of a calling which in normal terms meant that they were interviewing for the position of pastor. Finally, in early 1980, the church selected Jack Shanks to be our pastor. Soon afterwards, the Womacks returned, and I was no longer the song leader and could resume the normal role of a 14-year-old boy in the church, if one could call me normal. I headed to the back of the church, making sure to give hugs to Miss Walker and Miss Goff. I exited the building and then waited for Daddy to exit the building because I was hoping that he would allow us to get pizza tonight, especially since I had found a coupon for a buy a large, get a medium free at the Pizza Inn in Cleveland. I watched as Daddy visited with Brother Jack and Brother Barlow, knowing not to interrupt, especially for something as menial as what I needed to ask him. Finally, Daddy descended the single step and stepped onto the blacktop driveway that was directly in front of the building. Daddy, I began, there was a coupon in the Houston Chronicle this morning for a buy a large pizza and get a medium pizza for free at Pizza Inn. I was wondering if we could do that for supper tonight. I don't see why not. Daddy said as he pulled out his wallet and handed me a $20 bill. Who's going to take you? I'll see if Gail will do it, I said as I bounded towards the parking lot where Gail and Charlotte were getting into Gail's 1978 brown Ford Mustang II. Daddy said that we could get pizza if you would take me to Cleveland, I said. I saved the coupon from the paper this morning. Do you mind taking me? I don't mind, Gail said. You'll have to ride in the back seat. That's okay, I said. Let me go tell Daddy. You know what, Gail said. I'll come with you and use the phone in Brother Jack's office to order it so that it'll be ready when we get there.
I ran back to where Daddy was standing, again talking to Brother Jack. I waited until there was a break in the conversation before I interrupted. Gail said that she would take me, I told Daddy as he looked down at me. Okay, be careful and don't distract her, Daddy said. Brother Jack, I started as Gail walked up behind me. Do you mind if we use the phone in your office to order the pizza? Not at all, Brother Jack stated. Thank you, I said as Gail and I re-entered the church building and made an immediate left turn into Brother Jack's office. Gail sat down in Brother Jack's chair and pulled the desk phone towards her. Like at our house, the phone was a rotary dial phone, and from where I sat, I could see the church phone number 6893038 on a label adhered to the open circle in the center of the dial. I watched as Gail located the telephone number of Pizza Inn from the coupon. Gail stuck her finger in the five and spanned the rotary dial. She followed with a nine, then a two, which was the prefix for the Cleveland area. Gail completed the call with the remaining four digits and then put the headset against the side of her head. Good evening, I heard Gail say. I'd like to order a large supreme pizza and a medium sausage and mushroom pizza. Gail waited for a few seconds. Yes, ma'am, Gail said. I'm going to pick it up. Also, I have a coupon for a buy a large pizza and get a free medium pizza. Again, Gail waited a couple seconds. Yes, ma'am. We'll be there in about 15 minutes. Thank you. Goodbye, Gail said, completing the conversation as she hung up the phone. Gail and I exited Brother Jack's office. We noticed that the church building was empty, so we turned off all the lights exited the building, and Gail turned to lock the door with the key that she and Charlotte used on Saturdays to enter the building to clean it. Okay, let's go, Gail said as we headed to her car, which was the only vehicle left in the parking lot. I headed to the passenger side where Charlotte was sitting. Charlotte got out of the car, and I pulled the lever that slid the back of Charlotte's seat towards the front so that I could get in the back seat. It was a good thing that I was five foot two inches tall because there wasn't a lot of room in the back of the very small car. Gail packed the car out onto Laird Street, stopped at the stop sign, then crossed the feeder street. Almost immediately, Gail stopped the car again, and the three of us instinctively looked to our left to wait for an opening as cars sped by in the southbound lane of Highway 59 headed towards New Caney, and then to Houston. A spot finally came open and Gail eased the Mustang across. She drove about 50 yards and then stopped again. This time the three of us looked to our right looking for an opening so that we could get on the northbound lane of Highway 59 which would take us through Patton Village, Splendora, and then on to Cleveland. You had to be very careful entering the traffic pattern because Gale's Mustang II was equipped with a four-cylinder engine and was slow to accelerate, especially with three people in it. Needless to say, it was always an adventure entering the northbound lanes after church on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. 
Finally, a spot came open and Gail pulled into the fastbound lane and headed north. She quickly put on her blinker and got into the right lane. I bet it took us a full 45 seconds to go from zero to 55. We all learned to drive in Daddy's 8-cylinder Ford LTDs, which accelerated very quickly. Riding in Gail's Mustang too was always an adventure. I watched through the side window as we passed through Patton Village and stayed on the main freeway instead of taking the exit to FM 2090. We crossed over the Splendor overpass that allowed me to briefly get a look at FM 2090 West and the flashing red light in the middle of town. In 1980, the state of Texas began building a loop around the city of Cleveland. However, for right now, all cars on Highway 59 had to go directly through downtown Cleveland. Martin Chevrolet passed by on my left, the Dairy Queen, and then the Sonic passed by on my right. At the intersection of Highway 59 and FM 105, Gail stopped at the red traffic light and then made a right turn. We drove past the Texan Theater and headed towards the Pizza Inn, which was right past the intersection of FM 1010, the road that we would use to go the back way home. Gail pulled the car into the parking lot and put the transmission into park. I dug into my pants pocket and pulled out the $20 bill that Daddy had given me while Gail gave her the coupon and she had held on to after ordering the pizza in Brother Jack's office. Here's the money Daddy gave me, I said as I placed it into Charlotte's outstretched hand. Charlotte got out of the car and headed inside the restaurant. In less than five minutes, I saw the glass door to the restaurant open and Charlotte walked out with two pizzas. Gail reached over and pulled the lever to open the passenger door, gave it a slight shove so that it would stay open. I pulled the lever on the passenger seat and pushed the back of the seat forward. Charlotte came around the open door, bent down slightly, and handed me the pizzas to hold. The heat from the bottom of the box began to penetrate the denim of my blue jeans. Gail backed out of the parking space and then slowly approached the shoulder of FM 105. Gail looked left towards oncoming traffic going east on FM 105, and Charlotte looked right into the oncoming traffic going west on FM 105. By now, the aroma of the pizzas filled the car, and my hunger pangs started. You're clear over here, Charlotte said. Gail continued looking westward, waiting for an open spot. You're still clear, Charlotte said. Gail still waited. Clear, 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 Charlotte repeated every five seconds, as was our family ritual. This helped the driver know when to go. Finally, a space appeared and Gail crossed the two eastbound lanes, the turn lane, and entered the westbound traffic lanes. Very quickly, she turned on her left blinker and got into the turn lane of FM 1010, and we headed towards the house. Gail pulled into the driveway and parked behind Daddy's brand new 1980 Buick LeSabre that Jill still had leased for him. This was the first time since I was born that Daddy had a non-Ford product from Shill Steel. 
He made sure, though, to order white, because he had hated the green color that I had chosen for his last car, because he said that the jade green paint made the car hotter in the summer than the white paint. Charlotte got out of the car and pulled the lever so that the passenger seat back pulled forward. She then retrieved the two pizzas from me and headed into the house. Even for a 14-year-old kid in relatively good shape, it still took a lot of effort to extricate myself from the back seat of Gail's car. By the time that I had entered the utility room, the dining room was abuzz with activity as glasses for tea, except for the milk glass for Gina, along with the plates, were being placed at the table. The seven of us sat around the table and waited for Daddy to appoint someone to say the blessing. On a side note, you don't realize what you have until it's gone. Starting in 1980, it was a rare treat to have just the seven of us at the table. It felt like nothing could harm us, and all was safe and good in the world when it was just us. You could feel the Lord's hand on our family and the protection and blessing that he bestowed upon us all under the watchful eyes of my parents. Jaina, Daddy began, would you please say the blessing? Father in heaven, Gina began, thank you for this food that is set before us. Thank you for the message from Brother Cherry. Please watch over us and protect us as we enjoy the holiday tomorrow. Please say Virgil. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen, we all said. Mama took a slice of each of the pizzas and then had the rest of us pass our plates on, which she placed in an identical serving. What are we doing tomorrow? I asked. I don't have any plans, Daddy said, except for resting. This was unusual. It was a rare day that we ever had nothing to do. I would like for you and Virgil to cut the okra before you do anything else, Mama said. And there it was, a chore. Mama never rested and felt that the best training for us was chores. Yes, ma'am, we will get it done first thing, I said. Picking okra was one of my least favorite things to do in the garden, outside of pulling the hog weeds that grew up in the rows. Okra plants have a fine, hair-like structure that pokes into your skin and makes you itch. Of course, we didn't have just one or two okra plants. We had two full rows. So by the time you finished cutting the okra pods off the plant, you literally felt like your skin was on fire. One could ask why I didn't wear a long sleeve shirt, and the answer to that is, number one, I didn't have that many long sleeve shirts, except for the two dress shirts that I use for church. And number two, it was too hot for a long sleeve shirt. George and I are just going to hang around the house, Gina began. I think we're going to wash our trucks. Ralph is coming over tomorrow, and he is going to show me his 1955 Pontiac that he bought last week, Gail said. Ralph was our first cousin and probably Mama's favorite nephew. He was Uncle Pat's first son, and his pleasant personality made him a favorite among all of us. Ralph had gotten married last year to Darlene Farrell. 
Very soon after that, Darlene became pregnant and delivered a healthy baby girl named Misty earlier this year. I think that I'm going to make cookies and swim a little bit if the water isn't too cold, Charlotte said. Are you going to make peanut butter cookies or chocolate chip cookies? I asked. I'm not sure, Charlotte said. I know that your favorite is the peanut butter cookies. Is that what I should make? Please, 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 with sugar on top, I said. All right, that's what I'll make, Charlotte said. As a matter of fact, I might make a batch of each of them. Hooray, I said. Daddy, do you think that you could heat up the hot tub? I think that's a good idea, Daddy said. That way, when you get cold from swimming, you can jump in and warm up. We were in the in a huge inflationary cycle in 1980, and it was the main topic of the presidential debates that year. Jimmy Carter was president of the United States, and it seemed that everything was going bad for him. There was a hostage situation in Iran, inflation was rampant, the economy was collapsing, and interest rates were through the roof. Because of the cost, Daddy didn't run the hot tub very often because it was expensive. Tomorrow would be a good day. After we pick the okra, I'm going to go bike riding and then swimming, I said. Me too, Virgil replied. Talk was lively as we completely devoured both pizzas. Wallace, Mama began. On your way to lock up the chickens, would you put these two pizza boxes in the burning barrel? Yes, ma'am, I answered. The girls got up and began cleaning off the table. I got out from behind the table, grabbed the two pizza boxes, grabbed the egg basket, and headed to the chicken yard. Right before you get to the pasture gate, there was a burning barrel that we used to burn most of our trash. When the barrel would get filled with ashes and debris, Daddy would hook up the old wooden-sided trailer to the back of Gina's truck, and we would take it to the dump over off Highway 105 as it entered the city limits of Conroe. I put the two boxes in the burning barrel, which at the time was only half filled with ash. I didn't dare light them this late into the evening, so I would burn them tomorrow. I opened the pasture gate and walked inside. I could hear the ducks softly quacking at the pond. Mama had purchased three geese that assimilated themselves in with the ducks, and the seven of them would make quite a racket in the mornings as they waited to be fed. I could also hear the guinea hens chirping in alarm up in the trees at the change with me entering the pasture. Lady was standing near the gate, so I reached over to pet her on the head. I entered the chicken yard and headed to the chicken house where all of the chickens were already roosting. I checked to make sure that there were no possums in the hen house and then I closed and locked the door. I quickly gathered the eggs and then headed back to the house where the rest of the family were all doing their own thing. I watched some TV with Daddy in the living room and then went to bed at my normal bedtime of 10 o'clock. This concludes... Episode 1 of The Approaching Storm by Wallace Gibbs.